Hello, and welcome to Investigative Postcast, a podcast program from Investigative Post. I'm Jim Heaney, editor of Investigative Post, a nonprofit investigative reporting center based in Buffalo. In this week's episode, I talk with Sarah Cohen, an editor with the New York Times and a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter. Sarah is keynote speaker at Investigative Post's upcoming gala dinner, October 19th at the Hyatt Regency. So, Sarah, you're a Buffalo gal. Uh, tell me a little bit about your background, both growing up here in Buffalo and, and, and your career as a journalist. Sure. I was uh, born and raised in Buffalo. I spent my entire life at Park School from the time I think I was three until I graduated high school. And um, my journalism career actually started considerably later than I started a career. I went to grad school at Maryland and um, came up through a fairly traditional uh, path the way that most people did in the 90s. Um, I went to a regional paper and then went to its competitor in Florida. And oh, which, which, uh, which, which papers? Uh, I worked I in Florida. That's, that's why I asked. <laughs> I started at the Tampa Tribune okay. and went to what was then called the St. Petersburg Times. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I worked at the Orlando Sentinel for six years. Oh, wow. So. Okay. Yeah, it was a great news. It's uh, what a great place to start reporting um, yeah. because they have incredible public records there. And when you learn to start reporting in Florida, you start you get a habit of saying that the government can't keep things from you. So yeah, yeah, it's an awesome yeah. Place to start. yeah. And in Florida, Florida back then, anyways, was a was a great newspaper state. It had a lot of uh, a lot of really good newspapers and uh, and and a lot of competition. So yeah, I mean, all right. So Florida, you moved on to? I uh, worked at investigative reporters and editors for a couple of years as a training uh, director, going around the country helping people with investigative and data-driven stories. And eventually that led to a job at the Washington Post, where I really spent most of my career. Um, so I was at the Post for about 12 years. Now you won the Pulitzer when you were there, correct? That's right. I was shared in one Pulitzer there, and we were fighting. What, what was the story about? The story was called The District's Lost Children, and it was about the failure of the child protective system in D.C. to respond to issues around kids. And what we did was we followed the cases of all 226 kids who had died over a period of time to figure out what exactly happened in there. 226 kids? And it's a small city. Yeah, it was a lot of kids. And uh, How long of a period of time? I think it was five years. So, oh um, okay. and each of them had come to the attention of the child protective system in some one way or another, even though they weren't in foster care. And uh, we found that one-fifth of them, serious mistakes, they died after serious mistakes had been made in their cases, according to government records. All right, and from the post? From the post, I took a stint in academia, where I'm heading back to soon. Um, I was a, a night professor at Duke University, in their public policy school. That only lasted a few years um, before I ended up back in the newsroom at the New York Times where I run a small group of reporters who focus on data and document-driven stories, mainly in investigative work. Data is kind of your thing, right? That's right. Now, you're also uh, past president of Investigative Reporters and Editors, which is really, which is the trade group for, for, for muckrakers, for listeners who uh, Probably haven't heard of it before. It's uh, it's where investigative reporters and editors uh, get a lot of training and uh, 
and swap a lot of uh, swap a lot of information and, and stories <laughs> once right. a year at their conference. Um, that's giving you a bird's eye view of what's going on in our corner of the journalism world, right. um, which uh, you know in some ways is the best of times, in some ways is the worst of times. Give Absolutely. us your take on the state of investigative reporting, um, both at a national and local level. What's sure. what's going on? I mean, the first thing just to think about is IRE, as we call it, um, has never been bigger or more healthy. And I think that the reason for that is that a lot of places and people are realizing that investigative reporting and real investigative reporting, investigative reporting that's based on facts and documents and holding officials accountable, is the one thing that makes any given news organization different than any other news organization. There's something called commodity news, that's the stuff that goes around on Twitter and in Facebook, and some of it's true and some of it's not. Um, <laughs> and uh, then there's actual original reporting that's of public importance, and that's what IRE focuses on. And so we're now up to more than 5,000 members. Um, 30 years ago when it started, it was started by a band of 30 reporters. And so it's 40 years ago. And so, uh, so it, it's doing quite well, but the big thing that you see, and you almost see it in the composition of the board over the last few years. I've been on the board for uh, seven years now. And two years ago, we had um, three reporters from regional newspapers. And uh, today, none of those are in regional newspapers anymore. Um, one of them is at a large nonprofit news organization called Reveal. It used to be called the Center for Investigative Reporting in San Francisco. Another one is at the New York Times. And the third has just joined the Scripps uh, chain of television stations. The downturn in the, in, the, in the economics of the newspaper business has really hit uh, daily newspapers particularly hard. And, and how is that translated into what papers are doing or not doing when it comes to investigative reporting? You know, it's so spotty. What we're watching in the last week with uh, the Houston Chronicle and how they are covering the hurricane, both on a breaking news level and also more in-depth, is instructive in terms of the papers that are trying hard and investing in investigative and in-depth reporting. It's worth noting that the Houston Chronicle won two IRE awards last year, which is a very competitive award. And I don't recall whether they won a Pulitzer, but I know they were finalists. And so that paper has been heavily investing in hard news reporting, and you can see it in their coverage of the hurricane in the last week or two. What about um, the industry kind of the as, a, as a whole? Yeah, yeah. What's, <laughs> you know? yeah, what's, the, what's the rest of the story? <laughs> the rest of the story is if you look at my alma maters, uh, the Tampa Tribune and St. Pete Times, I was just looking at it. The St. Uh, Pete Times bought the Tampa Tribune and immediately closed it. That was about 100 journalists that were out of a job immediately. Um, and they will not, uh, it looks like they're not um, disclosing how many journalists they have left, um, but when I was at the St. Pete Times, it had a newsroom of about 350. The last count I could find was 200. So what that gives you is a newsroom that used to be dominant in a region um, and competitive with another newsroom that was also quite um, aggressive. Now um, a 
more, less than half the size of the uh, of the of the two together. Um, the Raleigh News and Observer is another example where I just went. And Used to be a great newspaper. It was always a great newspaper, and it still does do some good work. But I believe it's down to 30 reporters. And that's 30 one of the reporters. Wow. I, that's one of the most dynamic economies in the country. So, um, you know, so that's kind of where a lot of the regional news organizations are. The upside is that where a lot of those people went is exactly what you did, Jim. I mean, they were not done with doing their journalism, and they have increasingly around the country started up small nonprofit newsrooms that are entirely geared at investigative reporting and accountability reporting, supported by membership, events, and philanthropy. Um, whether that's a long-term strategy or not, I guess we'll find out, but some have really made it work, and uh, they're filling a really important hole. Although it's it's an awfully, speaking as a nonprofit news operator, yeah. it's it's an awfully large gap to fill, and in, in one is. one that uh, can only be partially filled at at best. Um, what? Uh, all right, let let's let's turn our attention nationally. Um, the Trump impact on journalism. Yeah. What is Funny. it from your? From 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 your perspective, I mean, you're you're uh, you know you're you're you've been with the New York Times. You you're inside the belly of the beast, so to speak, in terms of how uh, a handful of national outlets have, have, in my opinion, anyway, has really risen to the occasion. Um, but what 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 has been what has been uh, you know aside from the obvious, the kind of nastiness and anti-press. Uh, uh, rhetoric and things like that. What, what has been the practical impact uh, Trump has had on the way major news organizations, uh, both nationally and locally, uh, operate in response to uh, yeah. this kind of new environment? Well, I mean, I mean, a lot of people are talking about the great newspaper wars are back, and they are. Uh, you know, it's the competitiveness. Um, especially between the Times, the Post, the Wall Street Journal, and, se and several other news organizations, um, is real, and it is uncovering a lot of news every day. Um, but in that same environment, what ends up happening is that um, the confusion and, in some ways, chaos of what's going on in Washington is kind of sucking the life out of a lot of other important stories. Um, at the Times, we have an entire team that is dedicated to covering the regulatory rollback of the Trump administration. And um, that is one group that is doing some really strong reporting. And I know the Post, had a, uh, the Post is doing something similar. They had a really good story today about, um, about political oversight of grants in the Environmental Protection um, Administration. And the, it is very hard to do anything longer term in this environment because the story keeps changing. I think it's starting to calm down a little bit. I think we're starting to get into a little bit of a, a routine and a rhythm that um, will make some space for some more in-depth stories, and to be frank, we're only, what, six or eight months into this administration. There hasn't been a lot of time for there to be much of uh, substance that has gone on. So 
I think that we're starting to shift. The other thing that you see is, I think is really interesting, and this was a slow cultural shift anyway, but I believe that this, uh, some of the unexpectedness of what's been going on has, has uh, accelerated this, is, you know, five, ten years ago, it would be unheard of for the Washington Post or the New York Times to collaborate with another news organization to share credit, to publish other people's work. I mean, neither place were joiners. They never joined in in consortiums, really. And we're seeing that change a lot now. People are starting to get together. I wouldn't say that the Times and the Post are doing things together, but each of us are working with places like ProPublica, which is a large nonprofit investigative newsroom. Um, and we're looking for other ways to do collaborations that really uh, take advantage of everybody's um, skills and everybody's resources. And that may be the way of the future on this, that, that nobody really can go it alone. Yeah, I you know I I think you're starting to see that on on a local level as well. I mean certainly here in Buffalo. I mean we we partner with uh, WGRZ and and the public and WBFO. So there there is I, I think as resources as resources get uh, scarcer and scarcer, um, you know the willingness to uh, to collaborate to to do work maybe collectively that you're hard pressed to do um, yeah. individually uh, is kind of driving there is, that, that dynamic. There is some value in specialization. I mean, some of the best newsrooms in the country right now are small, single subject newsrooms. Someplace like the Marshall Project that focuses only on criminal justice, or um, END News, which focuses on energy and the environment. These are all very small newsrooms, but they do one thing and they do it very well. And so um, partnering with them makes a big difference. We can, as the New York Times or the Washington Post, we can amplify their work in a way that they can't do. And they can provide uh, in-depth and really good beat reporting with in-depth knowledge of a subject in a way that that's hard for a large news organization to sustain. Very good. Well, Sarah, we look forward to seeing you uh, speak at our gala dinner October 19th. Best um, time of year to come home. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, the leaves. Hopefully the leaves will be out and the snow will nowhere to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving to Phoenix soon, so I'll be happy to see snow. <laughs> <laughs> we won't be. We won't be. Listen, thank you for your time, and uh, we'll so see much. you on the 19th. Tickets for our October 19th gala dinner can be purchased online at investigativepost.org. That's where you can find our previous podcasts as well. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.